please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We are in a portion of this text, verses 1 through 19 of chapter 14. Um, I would ask that uh, you would be in prayer for my, our brothers and sisters in Russia. Um, they have asked me to teach 1 Corinthians in uh, Russia that week uh, in May. And those of you who are part of this fellowship would say, how is that possible five years and you're in chapter 14? Um, the Russians listen faster. <laughs> Actually, it's a different time of teaching. It's, it's, it's the perfect preacher's event. You start at 8 o'clock in the morning and you preach and teach until 5 or 6 o'clock at night. Um, that's just glory, isn't it? Uh, yeah, probably not if you're not listening. So, uh, But, uh, you know, just pray. I had thought that I would have 1 Corinthians done with you before I uh, went to teach. But uh, as you can see, uh, highly unlikely. Uh, so anyway, uh, pray for our brothers in Russia. We will read verses 1 through 19 and then ask the Lord to help us. And uh, we are on uh, point 3 today, uh, verses 13 through 19. So let's read all of it. And then we'll ask the Lord to help us to understand. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but his spirit, he speaks mysteries. The one who prophesies speaks to men for the edification and exhortation and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, I come to you speaking in tongues. What will it, I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of by knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either the flute or the harp, and producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in tones, how will it be made? How will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces a distinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be as a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let anyone who speaks a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, 
My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at the giving of thanks since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, help us to hear. Help us to see. Help us to set aside the confusion. And Father, help us to walk in a manner worthy of our high calling. Father, we draw to your word, understanding that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with you and the word is you. And therefore, Father, we ask that you would teach us. Help us have a clarity here. Clarity here, Father, help us not to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And yet, Father, let us understand your principle for spiritual gifts is for the strengthening of the saints for the work of ministry. To your glory and praise. Amen. We are looking at chapter 14 and it is dealing with the gift of tongues. And there's a lot of controversy on this. But when we started in this this area, all the way back in chapter 12, I shared with you that it says, I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And I asked the question, do you believe that the church is ignorant of spiritual gifts? And there was a resounding yes, absolutely. And part of the reason is, is I think that we just don't read it. Um, I share with you that I have, when I preach a book or where I'm getting ready to study something, I read that book every day until I'm done teaching it. So for you who are concerned, uh, about a year before I started teaching 1 Corinthians, I started reading 1 Corinthians every day. And I have been reading 1 Corinthians every day now for almost seven years. All right? When I read it, it, it's not difficult. When you read the whole thing, what happens is people will grab this or they'll grab that or they'll have an experience and I've seen this or I heard this or somebody told me about this or I believe this and if it doesn't fit then we, you know, I was talking to a guy this week that the scriptures is like a prisoner of war. You persecute it long enough, it'll say anything. And he wrote the letter to the Corinthians. Why? There were some issues. I mean, he doesn't even deal with their problems until chapter 7. The first six chapters, he's rebuking them for everything. And yet I see people who say, well, I want to be like the Corinthians. I don't. I don't want to be like the Corinthians. And that's what I think is the issue that exists. All right, so what we looked at is the gift of tongues, and I put in a little sub-bracket there, it's importance. Okay, and it is a secondary gift. It isn't that important. Not only is it not important, it is better to have the gift of interpretations than it is the gift of tongues. All right? And then if you really want it, then go for prophecy. 
to speak before. Why? Because that's where the gift works. That's where it comes in. Why? If I stand up here and speak in Russian to you, how much growth are you going to get? Yeah, you'll get anything. See, God is a God of communications. Remember, part of his curse came in on Genesis 11. Never forget Genesis 11. That's the Tower of Babel. And it says, God confused the tongues of men so that they would be humble. They were being arrogant. We'll reach God. And he says, no, I will calm you down. You won't be able to communicate. When I go to Russia, I do not speak Russian. Well, I've got a couple of phrases. Where's the bathroom? Where's the train station? You know, important stuff. Okay? Um, you know, that doesn't sound... I do Slava Buga. Praise God. Okay? Where's the bathroom? <laughs> All right? But when I'm in Russia, I have an interpreter everywhere I go. And if I don't have an interpreter, I don't leave. I'm just not that dumb. I can't even read their signs. I mean, the street signs. All right? Verses 1 through 5 of this text says that the gift of tongues is not for the whole. It's not for the whole. And it's amazing because chapter 14 has an underlying word there that is always there. And what is it? Edify, edify, edify. And so the gift of tongues is what? Not for edifying. So what does he say? Don't use it if you don't have an interpreter. Listen, here's one of the things. I watch people try to say, well, this is for the private. No, it ain't. The context is chapter 11 through 14, and it's dealing with the congregation coming together as a group of believers. And he's saying the gift of tongues is not for the congregation. Okay? You've got to understand that. You've got to understand that. He has not changed talking about the assembly together of the saints. All right? So it's not for the whole. Verses 6 through 12. It can't be understood. If I speak in a tongue. There's two terms that you see here in your text. One is tongue singular. One is tongues plural. Okay? Plural is. How many languages are there? Expert says 3,500. And I think that's just in the south. <laughs> because <laughs> you got Ewans and y'all and I'm thinking those are the same okay but anyway you can't understand it alright the singular is this gibberish stuff um, I had before my salvation was involved with some what do we call them now Native Americans and they would have these times of getting together to become spiritual and they would go off into this well, how do I translate this? Gibberish. Okay? I mean, it was like adult speaking baby talk. And it, it, didn't, it didn't have any sense. And you ask them, well, what did you say? And they would say, I don't know. Cool. All right. So the benefit of that was what? Uh, that ain't none. Why? I mean, if you don't even know what you're saying, you can bet that I didn't know what you were saying. So it didn't help me, um, you know, and I would always look at it from this perspective. It didn't hurt me either. No big deal. 
All right. But he says you can't understand this unless you have someone with a gift of interpretation. That's verses 6 through 12. And he uses two illustrations. One, if you're playing, I, did you know you, you, you see Jacob and my wife and, and Austina playing this morning? Do you know that I have the capability of playing every note they played? I can play everything they played. Okay, you don't want me to. But I can play every note they played. But if you don't put them in an order, what do you have? Terry playing. <laughs> and what does it sound like? Oh, my God. Okay, you want to start speaking in tongues. <laughs> so, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? But he makes, it gives a great illustration. He says, if you have a bugler and he doesn't know what he's doing, how will the military know what to do? I mean, if he plays charge and you're wanting to retreat, uh-oh. Or if he plays a symbol together and you need to charge, uh-oh. And that's basically what he uses as an illustration. Okay, then the last one, verses 13 through 19, and it's going to take a little time to get through this because you, uh, you'll see why. <laughs> you'll see why. I'm going to get through this in one setting. Okay, and here's the reason. I have an interpretation problem. Those of you who know us, you know that at 1 o'clock we have a Korean church that comes in here. The pastor speaks in Korean. He has, his English is about as good as mine. No, his English um, is probably as good as my Korean. Okay, and I only know like Kung Pao chicken. Okay, so I, I, I don't do it very well. All right, here's what's bizarre about it. This guy wants me to be the guy who ordains him. Okay, which means I need to ask him some questions. And I've gone through two interpreters so far, and they don't know how to speak of the sacred language in Korean. Okay, and I thought, well, what is it? Holiness. I don't know how to translate that. I don't know what you mean. I was like, perfect. Okay, I kind of have to deal with that. Um, so uh, I have an interpretive problem. Okay, and I've been praying for an interpreter that will understand that when what baptism in baptios, baptomos, and all them other stuff. Anyway, all right. That's what you're going to run into in this text. There's interpretive problems in this text. Okay, but I believe that if you're honest with the text... In the context of 1 Corinthians, in the society and the history of Corinth, this is not a difficult text. All right? The problem is, we sometimes want to have this belief, and let me take my belief and force it into this text. Listen, one of the keys to this text is you do not want to be like the Corinthians. God was not happy with the Corinthian church. And Paul is trying to straighten them out. That's what he's dealing with. All right, so here we go. Verse 13. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Okay, he's got that singular again. What is that singular? It's not a language. There are languages, tongues. Okay, but there is this gibberish stuff that is out there. All right? But it's, it's private. No, the context is with the congregation. It's ecstatic. 
Okay, and then if you look at it, the definite article is there, is not there, and so they think they're speaking to their God. Okay, it should be a little g. Not God, not the God. It is a little God. Why? I want to try to act important. Now, let me explain to you something. When God, in Genesis 11, confused the speech of man... Did he make it so that some could talk to him and some couldn't? No, he gave them a language so that if you're speaking American, guess what? God knows what you're saying. If you're speaking Hebrew, God knows what you're saying. If you're speaking Russian, God knows what you're saying. If you're speaking some of this gibberish stuff, God said, I haven't got a clue what you're saying. And he says it there in verse 20, don't be like children. You ever, you ever watch parents with kids? They've got their brand new kids and they're sitting there talking to the kids. You ever watch that? That's some spooky stuff. Especially when the parent acts like they know what the kid is saying. A kid doesn't even know what the kid is saying. And the parent is going, oh, he's saying mama. Well, it sounds like, oh, yeah. No, that's mama. How'd you get that out of that? And have you ever done it? I play with kids every once in a while and I'll say, how are you doing? They'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the parent will come up and tell me what they said. And I'm sitting there going, how'd you get that out of that? I didn't get that out of that. Okay? That's what he's saying. Quit it. Quit with the gibberish. You don't need it. Okay? If you th- There is a true God. There is a true God. And he has given you a language. Acts 2 said when they were speaking in tongues, what was it? It was Persian. It was Ethiopian. It was Hebrew. It's Aramaic. Huh. Where did those languages come from? God gave them to us in Genesis 11. So the person with the gift of tongues has the ability to speak a language that he was never trained for. And yet... It isn't the language that is the miraculous thing. The miraculous thing is that they're presenting the gospel. I walk into downtown Moscow preaching the gospel in English unless they know my language. Who gets saved? Nobody. How do you get saved? It isn't through the trick. It is through the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel, it is the power of salvation. All right, if I can't communicate that to you in a language you understand, how do you get saved? You don't get saved. Listen, praying in some kind of ecstatic babble has never the intention of the gift. And if you're truly honest with the text, it is always the perversion of the gift. Okay, Paul is saying... When one is praying in this, whatever it is, let him pray with the purpose of translating or interpreting. Okay? I have known people who have, quote unquote, this prayer language. And I've asked them, what did you pray? The response to me is, I don't know then what was the point of it? I mean, my logic says, if I've prayed something that I'm asking God to do, and I don't know what they said, how will I know if he did it or not? 
I don't, do you see what I'm trying to get at? And, and you'll see why I'm kind of belaboring this point is because he says, I want you to be fruitful where? In your mind. In your mind. I believe, as I read this, in the context of everything that the Apostle Paul is dealing with, that verse 13 is very much dripping with sarcasm. He says, you're so busy praying in your gibberish, why don't you pray for something that will have some meaning to someone else? Interpret it. Praying for this ecstatic. Ask God for something that the rest of us can benefit from. Chapter 14, the key to chapter 14 is simple. Edify, edify, edify. I have a friend of mine who got me a t-shirt, okay? And on the front of it, it says, edify, stupid. Okay? Right? What should we be doing? Building up. Building up. What he's going to there in verse 13 is, how selfish is this? Okay, now I watch people, if you speak in a tongue, pray that God may interpret. All right, they say, well, see there, you need to pray for this gift. (sighs) No, it's not what the text says. Chapter 12, verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all things, distributing to each other individually as he wills. Nowhere in the scriptures can you find it where God says, go seek after a spiritual gift. It says the Holy Spirit will give it as he wills. If you drop down there, chapter 12, verse 30, do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in a tongue? No. Do all interpret? No. I mean, that's the implication. No, they don't. Why? So when I watch these people and, and certain groups of people saying, well, we all need to be speaking in a tongue where do you get that from okay because it's amazing to me because it's selfishness god never say pray for a gift it can't mean seek an interpretation why chapter 14 verse 28 what does it say if there is no interpreter The person speaking in a tongue must do what? Keep silent. You know what the implications of that verse is? Two huge implications. There is a gift of tongues. A gift of languages. And it was obvious that it was in the church. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But it's also obvious that there were those in the body, in the fellowship, in the congregation who did what? interpreted it's also obvious not everybody interpreted or he wouldn't have said if the interpreter's not there be silent you see that then if you have the gift of tongues and you're in the congregation and I'll show you what the gift of tongues is for and it ain't got nothing to do with the church but if you're in the church and you have the gift of tongues it was obvious that you knew that there was somebody with the gift of interpretation if the person with the gift of interpretation was skiing instead of being in church then the person with the gift of tongues was to be quiet 
This is, I don't understand why we make this so complicated. He says, here's how it works. Not only that, he'll tell us what it's for. We haven't gotten to that text yet. If somebody's going to use the true gift, okay, and I know and I've read on ahead enough and I've taught this enough that if somebody has the true gift, that means that there is somebody in the congregation who is an unbeliever. And they were going to validate the message because the person would be able to speak in that unbeliever's language. All right? But God said, if that unbeliever is in the congregation, I don't want the congregation not to be strengthened, so I'll have somebody interpret what the person speaking in a language is saying so that the saints will still be edified. Do you see that? God is so caring about the body of Christ that no matter what's going on, He wants the church strengthened, edified. So they must have known that there were those with the gift of interpretations. I don't want to ever say... People ask me, do you believe in the gift of tongues? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I've never seen it exercised. I have some phenomenal interpreters when I go to Russia. Okay, But I also know that they went to school and learned English. And I also understand that every once in a while I'll throw out a word that they don't know what I'm saying. And they'll look at me and say, what? Ha ha, I got you, didn't I? Okay. So there was, when you think about that then, then the gift of tongues, how important is it? It's limited. It's not that important. All right. Well, but what if he's saying seek an individual gift? So you should interpret. Okay. Well, I can tell you. Um, if you want to learn Spanish, you can hook up with Randy. He'll help you. Okay? If you want to learn Russian, I don't want to tell you. Okay? <laughs> because, like I said, I can, we can all go to the bathroom and praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right? Paul is getting on them. He's getting on the Corinthians, and he's saying, listen, while you're jabbering, why don't you pray that somebody... Something intelligible will show up. All right? Ask God for something that will have meaning. Ask God for something that will help the church. Ask God for something that will strengthen the church. Verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, there's the singular again, this gibberish. If I pray, what happens? My spirit prays, but my mind is what? It's unfruitful. Now, the word spirit there is pneuma. It's the word we get pneumatic from. Um, It does speak of the Holy Spirit. But every time in the New Testament when you have pneuma, it must have hagios. And it'll have a definite article. The Holy Spirit. That ain't in this text. I've heard people try to translate this and say, well, he means the Holy Spirit prays. That ain't what the text says. Okay, so it literally can be your wind, it can be your breath, it can be your spirit, it can be your inner feelings, it can be your feelings. There's no definite article, holy ain't there, so it's definitely not the Holy Spirit. So, whose spirit is it? The other reason I know that it's not the Holy Spirit, who is it contrasting with? The Holy Spirit's mind? No. Your mind, your spirit, which would be your breath, which could be your emotions or your feelings, 
If you pray with your emotions and your feelings, what happens to your mind? Nothing. Nothing. Okay? So the effects of this thing, this event, is purely emotional. What will it do for your faith? Nothing. My faith is based on my intellect. Listen, pistos, faith. All right? Faith says, I get the information. Okay? I have to hear the information. I have to intellectually ascend to the information. And then the Holy Spirit invades your soul and brings you into persuasion of that information. It isn't just, I believe. Listen, the demons believe. And they're not going to heaven. I mean, so just because you believe in Jesus, at best, you're a demon. Oh, that sounds awful. Okay, but it's what I'm trying to get at. Use your brains. God gave us a wonderful ability, and yet, I just don't feel like reading. All right? It's the human spirit or the human emotion side. So if I'm praying in this gibberish, my mind, I may be repeating this stuff, but it has no fruit bearing. There's no benefit to it. And listen, one of the things that Christians seek to do is what? Be fruitful. This quote-unquote prayer language is mindless. All right? It is an unknown tongue. It is, it is breath. It is wind. It is spirit. It is feeling. feeling. It is, I look at it. It's just air to air. My air blowed out into the air. I don't understand what I'm saying. And guess what? If I don't understand what I'm saying, I know you don't understand what I'm saying. And so what is the fruit of it? It's air to air. My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So listen, the counterfeit gift, when I see gifts being counterfeited, I always know that there's an underlying pen to it, and it is emotions. Okay? Now listen, I'm not saying that emotions aren't involved. That is not what I'm saying. But if my brain ain't working, then I'm just being followed by emotions. And where does that end up? Lord only knows. There's no, what I guess I, guess, I, guess I would call it, there's no mental benefit. I'm not going to grow. Listen, never a time in the Word of God, all right, when God wants us to be mindless. Never is there a preeminence on turning off your brain. It is not in Scripture. And when I see people go through this, never are we called to function on pure emotion. I mean, Paul tells the Corinthians, or the first Thessalonians, he tells them, we don't grieve as those who have no hope, which means we do grieve, but we don't grieve with no hope. Think about it, joy. You want to be joyous? Watch people get saved. What? 
Yeah. What do you think the parable of the prodigal son is based on? Who is the, the father there? God. It's God. And I mean, he acts like a blooming idiot. He puts his robe up under and he ties it up and he runs off to do what? Welcome his son back. And there is great joy and excitement. But is it based on just, let's go be joyous and exciting? No. No. We are never called to that. Hey, listen, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. What does it say? Love. Is that emotion? It has emotion in it. It has emotion in it. What am I supposed to do? Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, ooh, mind. Mind. Look what he says here. What is the outcome then? If I pray in the Spirit, I will also pray with my mind. You know, this is so interesting. I hear people who pray. God, give me peace. You know what you just told me? You ain't read your Bible. He's already given me peace. Okay? I hear people say, Oh, God, I need more grace. Let me tell you something. You got all you're going to get. Now, he will tell you, stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But what you're saying is, I don't know what I'm doing. So you're praying mindlessly. I, you've done it. I remember early in my faith, sitting and listening to this guy pray. to He was in my Sunday school class. And every time they asked him to pray, I thought, oh, my God. And I thought, you know, I must be like a demon-possessed man or something. Because I did not want to hear this man pray. He prayed and he went on and he went on and he went on and he went on and you could put a few more ons on there and I have no idea to this day what he was asking for. He just talked and you just sit there and go huh. I read Jesus' prayer they're very to the point. I read Paul's prayers. He don't seem to beat around the bush either but I have heard prayers that is like verbiage. This has got all kinds of words in it for no reason. Why? Because the person is not engaging their mind. Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. No, get saved. If you're saved, guess what? You already got it. Lord, bring the Holy Spirit. He's omnipresent. Where would you like him to bring him to? I don't know where you're going to go to get away from him. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I, I'm not. Listen, if you've made the same. Listen, oh, the other one, and it's a pet peeve of mine. The Holy Spirit is not an it, it is a he. And I think he takes that personal. God is not Mother Nature. That's why you have cataclysmic events. <laughs> Keep calling me Mom, I'm coming down. Okay? It was just two footnotes at that, and $3, you can get a Starbucks coffee. Um, But I share these things with you because God has not called us to mindlessness. I've given you my word. Read it. If you read it, then you'll know what I'm doing. And if you know what I'm doing, then you'll be able to pray in line with what I'm doing. Instead of, I use this illustration, instead of seeking God's hand, seek his face. Because if I'm looking him in the face, then I know what he's doing and I'm a part of it. If I'm seeking his hand, I'm out here being mindless, saying, I want to go over here and do this. I hope God blesses me. 
And if it falls apart, you can say, well, God just didn't bless me. And now all of a sudden it's God's fault. No. Paul says, I want to pray with understanding. I want to talk to God. It's going to come from inside of me. That's the spirit and my spirit. And it's going, and I'm going to say things that's going to come out as air, but I'm going to use my brain so it ain't hot air. But he says this here. I sing with my spirit, my emotions, my breath, my wind, my spirit. I will sing with what? What? My mind also. Have you ever listened to Christian radio stations? You know, some of them rated songs. What's the difference between them and pop music? Listen, if the song ain't got Jesus in there, I have no idea who you're talking about. Or Lord. Well, you know, some of the songs, if you listen to them, Muslims could sing them. Okay, and listen, I'll tell you heads up. The God of the Muslims and the God of Christianity are not the same. They're not even related. All right, please understand that. Okay, I know that the president said, well, I believe that this... No, sorry. George, you're wrong. They're not. Allah and Jehovah are not the same. Anyway, all right? I hear people who sing songs, and I, I don't know what that is. And, and they, well, but that was moving. No, man, you need to see Led Zeppelin do Dazed and Confused. That's the name of a song. That is impressive. They're good at it. Now everybody's going to walk out of here going, what did he say? Something about dazed and confused and breathing and emotions. Okay? Paul says, I don't want you to do this. I don't want to purport you to do this. I don't want you to be a spiritual show-off. Bring stuff that works. Bring stuff that strengthens. If you, even if you're singing or if you're praying, make sure your mind is used to do it. It's not vain repetition as the unbelievers. There's nothing mindless in the Word of God. You pray in English, guess what? God understands. If you sing in English, guess what? God understands. There's no greater blessing. The first time I went to Russia, I sat there and I listened to this great big huge choir sing, um, come that fountain, what is that? How great thou art. Okay? They're singing it in Russian. Okay? And you listen to it and I say, I know this song. And you're kind of singing along, how great thou art. And then all of a sudden, for because I was there, they were happy for me to be there, and they wanted to give me a little gift, they sing the second verse in English. And I was like, they're going, no, I can't sing it in Russian. <laughs> Not only that, I don't know the second verse in English either. Okay? <laughs> I, I, I just know the first verse. <laughs> so, so I know you got a pagan up here that's going to teach you something. But, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? But you could hear that song and you knew what was being sung. Okay, why? And your mind was fruitful. Okay, a little footnote here. I just like throwing in these things here. The word sing there that you see. In the original language, you know what it means? 
play the harp because the voice was to accompany the harp. So for all of you who don't like instruments in church, nah, 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 nah. Okay? A harp is just a cheap, a poor man's guitar. <laughs> okay? It, it is to accompany something. So there was congregational singing with instruments. Let's move on. Verse 16, otherwise, if I bless in the Spirit, same word, if I bless with this emotion only, Okay, meaning that it's mindless. You see what he's getting at here? How will the one who fills the place um, of the ungifted, um, idiotes, uh, the ignorant or the ungifted or the place of the unlearned, somebody who is ignorant of the language that you are using, that you are speaking, how does he know what you're saying? You know what? They don't understand. That's what he's getting at there in verse 16. To the point that even when you praise God, they will not be able to use Hebrew. What? That's what amen is. It's Hebrew. It's it's a blast to, to sit there and to listen to these Russian brothers preach or pray and then all of a sudden hear amen. You know how they say amen in Russian? Amen. Say amen. Why? It's Hebrew. And, and it's, a, it's a really cool word. Some of your translations, if you're a King James person, you'll see verily, verily. You know what that is? Amen, amen. Truly, truly. Um, I, I agree. How can I, if I'm speaking a language you don't understand, how will you say amen, truly? It literally means soul let it be. How can you say that if you don't know what I said? That's what Paul's getting at there in verse 16. How will the ungifted, the unlearned, the person who does not know your language say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying? Why? Because it's emotional. It's emotional. Listen, it, it, it was... I look at it, it, amen is like, I'm with you. Let's go. It was a tradition in the uh, Jewish synagogues to have amen. They said that it used to be very difficult to teach any length of text because everybody was amening. Okay, here's what some of the rabbis teach on amen. Quote, he who says amen is greater than he who blesses, unquote. Wow. Wow. All right, so when you were in church and you get the amen. Another rabbi says, whoever says amen to him, the gates of paradise are open. Another quote says, whoever says amen shortly, his days will be shortened. Whoever says amen distinctly and at length, his days shall be lengthened. You know what that is, right? We got a serious contest going on. I have taught in some black churches, and you get some of that. I mean, they'll amen everything. And then they just go, and they'll get into some other stuff, you know, work it out and make it happen, stuff like that. But in some of the synagogues, well, you think I'm kidding you. (laughs) I've preached in them, and they're, come on, brother, bring it home, bring it home. 
Did I spill it? Um, I, you know, but they get an amen. And I, you know, I, there's times I like to hear amen. But we're all Baptists. And so when somebody says amen, everybody goes, what was that? <laughs> amen? <laughs> well, it's true. So, he said amen. He can't say amen. Why? You don't agree? Well, I don't even know what it means. There we go. All right. Now be fruitful with your mind. Amen. There we go. I'm glad we all got it together. Okay. You can look at some of the stuff, the history of the early church, and you'll see it's very common to give a genuine agreement to the teaching that was going on. Like I said, today it kind of scares people. Did you hear that? They said amen. You know, they were being vocal. Paul says, blind emotion with this ecstasy going on. Nobody can even agree with you. You can't even say amen. Nobody knows what's going on. When you come together, it's for everybody's benefit. Whatever is done is for everybody's benefit. Whether you're singing, it's for everybody's benefit. If you're teaching, it's for everybody's benefit. And if a person says, amen, it's for everybody's benefit. Well, one person agreed. All right, verse 17. Giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not what? That's the point. They're missing the point. What are we doing? Are we strengthening the saints? Why? You know, that's why we teach that this is done in private. Oh, please. Chapter 11 through 14 is for congregations, for the gathering of the saints together. He ain't teaching anything in here about private. All right. Verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues. See, it's plural. I speak in more languages than all of you. He says, I thank God for that. And you know what he did? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says that he had the gifts of the apostles. He was an apostle to who? To the Gentiles. Guess what? He exercised this gift. But listen, Paul never exercised the gift of tongues as a private prayer language. I've read his prayers. It was not for Christian meetings. It was not for the church. Why? It does not edify. It is not for his own benefit. Everything he concerned about was for the church. Okay? He understood that there were people by the miracle of the gift of languages were going to get saved. And it was not because he had the gift of languages. It was because of what he was saying. It was the gospel being spoken in their language. That's how they got saved. Yet, he ranked the gift low, the gift of languages. Never at any time in his ministry or any of his writing does he refer, except here, to this gift. And why does he refer to it here? Because they had perverted it. They had perverted everything. They had perverted the place of marriage. They had perverted the Lord's table. They had perverted the love feast. They had perverted suing each other. Uh, immorality. A man had his, his father's wife. They didn't have anything going for him. And the only time you ever see him talk about the gift of languages is here. And he is constructing, he, he is correcting them. And here's what's amazing. Nowhere does he illustrate this text, this gift. 
However, he says in verse 19, in the church, in the church, the true gift. Okay, the true gift is used to speak to the lost. He said, I'd rather speak five words by my voice to teach others. Just five words. I actually heard a guy try to teach this. It says, yes, when you are prophesying, you can do it in a five to 10,000 ratio. That's why gifts goes on. The gift of languages or tongues goes on and on and on and on because it takes that many more words to cover the five words of prophecy. What? No, that ain't how this text works at all. Paul says, I have something to say. And sit down rather than 10,000 words in a foreign language. Did you get that? I have something to say. And then sit down is more benefit than 10,000 words. In Revelation, you see him say 10,000s upon 10,000s and thousands of thousands of angels. What is he saying here? The largest number in the Greek was 10,000. So it just means it's a big number. You know what we have? It's our, our gazillion. I'd rather say, I have something to say than a gazillion words that you don't understand. Use the voice to teach. Why? Verse 20. Stop being childish. Chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. When I was like a child, I reasoned like a child. Now I'm a man. Quit being childish. Let me give you the lessons here. First lesson. These first 19 verses do not tell us how to use the gift of tongues. There's nothing in these first 19 verses on the use of tongues. Okay? He's just telling us in the body of Christ what is the importance of the gift of tongues, and it's secondary. It has no benefit in the body of Christ. Okay? Why? We come together for what? Edifying one another. Okay? What I see in the movement that you may be experienced to or whatever is the same as Corinthians. Okay? The problem is there all over again. It's used in the, in the assembly, which Paul says you should not use it in the assembly. Okay? It is selfish and it is for self-edification. It is people who want to be spiritual show-offs. Okay? They seek the emotional experience rather than understanding... They are absorbed in their own experiences. There is no glory in the intellect. There is no affirming of God teaching so that I may stand under the assault of this world. They like to think that it is a secret communion with God. Same thing that the Corinthians were thinking. They do it among believers, which is not right. Here's what is amazing about some of these denominations and groups. They will do it among believers, and yet they'll send their missionaries, and they do not have the true gift to reach the people in a different language. You have the gift of languages, then you should go be a missionary to the people that that language they speak. Okay? What I see in a lot of denominations right now is a mirror of the Corinthian church. 
It's a self, self-absorbed, uh, as my dear friend Spiros Zodiades once said, it is a haughty group of people. Okay, so what do I learn? One, I need, as a Christian, to exalt in the proclamation and teaching of the Word of God. Two, I need to come together to hear God's Word so that we can understand it. Number three, do whatever we do with the gifts of the Spirit to build up someone else. My gift is for you, your gifts are for me. Four, never seek a selfish spiritual experience. Number five, never rely on the emotion, but rely on knowledge. Six, watch out for Satan's counterfeits. Whenever God is blessing, the enemy will send the counterfeit. Seven, do all with a clear mind, open to the truth of God's word. Okay, you know what the greatest tragedy that exists, that I believe is, is existing in our churches today? Greatest tragedy. There's a lot of churches who want to be like Corinth. Is that they miss the true work of the Holy Spirit. He gets blamed for silliness. And that ain't what he does. I think about this church and our outreach to India, our outreach to Burma, and our outreach uh, to Russia. Um, That is only a work of the Holy Spirit. However you cut that thing. We don't have that ability. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul who's gone before us. Father, help us. Help us who are called by your name. Rejoice in the greatness that you have given us divine enablement as your spirit chooses that we may literally give our gifts to the brothers and sisters that you bring into our lives, that we may strengthen them for the ministry that is around us. Father, you did not hide this. This is not a mystery. And yet, Father, give us hearts that are willing to bow before your word in light of your word and rejoice in your word. Father, may we, may we be a little stronger just by what we have received today. But Father, every day that we open your book, every day that your spirit teaches us, May we understand we're being conformed to the image of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Father, thank you for what you're doing. And Father, thank you that you will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could even ever imagine. We'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.